and welcome to a new episode of Doctor Who Panel to Panel. This is Jeremy Bument, your host, welcoming you to episode 165 of Panel to Panel. For those of you who have been following along on my feed, you realize it's only a few days since my last episode. I participated in the Doctor Who Podcast Day, which was this past Wednesday, and I released a new episode featuring an interview with a good friend of mine, Paul Schoons, who is a Doctor Who comics expert, but he also does lots of other Doctor Who stuff. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that episode or haven't downloaded it, please do me a favor and download that one. Uh, it was a lot of fun talking to Paul, always is. It's kind of hard to catch up with Paul because he lives in New Zealand and I'm here in Minnesota. So it takes a little bit of uh, coordinating schedules and incorporating a time difference to uh, talk to Paul, but it's always a pleasure to chat with him. However, let's talk about this episode. This new episode, it's a classic episode, so we're just going to go back and uh, represent a classic interview. And this time around, uh, it's another uh, something kind of special. Uh, news came out this week, just uh, yesterday as a matter of fact, as I record this intro, that the they are going to release an animated version of The Underwater Menace. Uh, it's going to come out over in the UK on Blu-ray and DVD in November to co- to coincide with the anniversary, of course, of Doctor Who, but that got me to thinking about the last time I talked animated uh, Doctor Who, which was with a good friend of the show and friend of mine for for quite some time, Gary Russell. If you want to hear that previous episode, that episode was uh, episode 138, which is still on my podcast feed. Uh, Gary and I talked quite a bit about how his work doing the animated uh, episodes and how the one he had been working on back then was kind of the last one in line. Uh, at that point in time, but he did make a remark that he was fairly certain that they were going to continue on. It was just a matter of time. And I guess uh, with this news about the underwater menace coming out, that goes to show that he was definitely right. He knew what he was talking about. Uh, Gary, of course, is somebody who's been in Doctor Who in some way, shape, or form for quite some time. And uh, he's been editor of Doctor Who magazine. He has written Doctor Who comics. He's written Big Finish audios. He was kind of the, the executive producer of Big Finish for a long period of time. Gary has done it all in the world of Doctor Who. And way back in 2014, so you know, nine years ago, I talked to Gary Russell about his career in Doctor Who, about him working on the IDW comics back then, and uh, just a, a nice, friendly chat. Gary is somebody who I've known for quite some time. Uh, I consider him a good friend of mine, and I thought it would be fun with this news about the underwater menace. It made me think of Gary. So uh, let's go back to episode number 10 of Doctor Who Panel to Panel, and uh, let's represent this interview with Gary Russell, and I hope you enjoy it. On Doctor Who Panel to Panel today, I have a very good friend of mine that I've known for years. He's somebody who is uh, kind of a a world-renowned Doctor Who person. He's done Big Finish audios. He helped uh, found the company. He's written Doctor Who books. He's written comics. He's been a script editor for uh, a couple of the different Doctor Who shows. And um, Gary Russell, thank you for joining me today. I am very, very, very pleased to be here, Jeremy. Thank you. Well, I, I've heard you on a couple different podcasts over the the past several years talking about all sorts of different things, but I want to focus on your uh, comic book career and go way, way back to the 1990s when you were editor on Doctor Who magazine. Wow. Okay. Which <laughs> <laughs> is such a long time ago. Oh, yeah. For, for you and me both. But um, you I, were... I think I had hair and, and no waistline in those days. <laughs> What a coincidence. Same with me. 
<laughs> but uh, you were you were editor of Doctor Who magazine from uh, nineteen ninety one to nineteen ninety five. Yep, and uh, back then uh, John Freeman was the the editor of the Doctor Who comic. Uh, how did you get involved in becoming the editor of Doctor Who magazine? Well, I obviously um, I'd been writing for it since 1983, um, and John eventually became the editor in the late 80s, and he and I got on very well anyway. Uh, both you know as as boss and employee, but also socially, and we both have a fairly good love, love of, of comics um so i spent a lot of time in the dwm offices generally making a nuisance of myself um <laughs> stealing lots of copies of various marvel comics uh, which was very very naughty of me and i just remember one day john turning around to me saying we were we were <laughs> this, this sounds posher than it actually is darling we were on an aeroplane together um, but we were actually only flying for half an hour from London to Edinburgh for a convention. And he said to me, look, um, there's going to be some changes at Marvel in the next sort of six months or so. Would you ever consider, you know, coming and joining the company or doing something probably on Doctor Who magazine? And uh -huh. I was freelance time. And I went, yes, of course I would. I'd love that <laughs> because I love DWM. Always I've done every single issue since number one. Uh -huh. um, so, yeah, it just seemed great. And then nothing happened for quite a long time. And then suddenly, out of the blue, he just rang me up one day and said, OK, um, what are you doing next Thursday? <laughs> and I said, not much. And he said, how would you like to become uh, the assistant editor on Doctor Who magazine? And I went, yes, please. That would be rather lovely. Uh -huh. So this was, I think, on a Monday. And then I think on Tuesday, I got the formal sort of letter from Marvel saying, come and work for us. And I started on the Thursday. And I know it was a Thursday because, A, it's a weird day to start. But I remember walking into to the office. And at that point, DWM was in an office with various other magazines. It's a big office. Uh -huh. And I didn't know anyone other than John. And sat down with John. And he was kind of going, look, he, he, he had just, it was issue 180. And it had a picture. It was the 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 giant robot cover that was also used on the original vhs uh -huh. and that was our front cover and he was laying that out and showing saying this is what this in this is this page and this is what we do here and this is perry the designer and blah blah and all this was going on and i was saying right 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 thinking i hope to god he doesn't think i'm going to remember all of this in the first <laughs> half an hour and then turns around to me and goes now a bit of a baptism of fire um i'm flying off to chicago for a doctor who convention on saturday and i'm away for a week and a half <laughs> And I'm like, I have been in the business within the building about two and a half hours. Uh -huh. And you're telling me I'm putting together the rest of this magazine for you. But actually, because John was so good and efficient, there's very little for me to do except physically see things through. I didn't have to do anything editorially. He'd done it all. Mm -hmm. All I had to actually do was get pages from Perry when she was designing them, checking them and getting them off to the repro house. And that was a really good baptism of fire for that first week or so of just learning the mechanics of editing a magazine rather than the creativity mm -hmm. of editing a magazine. That came, you know, in, in, in the weeks leading up to Christmas and, and, and beyond then, really. Uh -huh. um, and then John came back from America and said to me, in a couple of months, um, we're launching a whole load of Marvel comics in the UK, Death's Head, and all of that, that whole big explosion of, of 1991, 92. Uh -huh. And he was heading it up. He was going to be the in-house sort of group editor for that. And did I want to become the full-on editor of Doctor Who magazine? He would still, you know, keep an eye on me and, and have a sort of 
final say on everything uh-huh. but the actual day-to-day commissioning and running of the magazine would be down to me he was going to keep hold of the comic strip when i was like i want that <laughs> um and so that happened and actually it happened really really quickly i think i think the first issue i actually put together had i chose to put um peter pratt's master on the front cover i think mm-hmm. uh, which would probably be 184 i think and but the first issue I actually got credited as editor on was the one with Pete Warbank's lovely Enlightenment cover. And that was purely because John wanted to have one more issue, which meant he would have edited the magazine longer than Alan McKenzie. Uh-huh. And at the time would have made John the longest editor of Doctor Who magazine. Uh-huh. And I thought, I can't possibly argue with that. So he went from being the one the, at that point, the longest editor, followed by me, who I think is possibly the second or first shortest running editor. Because uh-huh. I only did it for a few years. Uh-huh. You know, you compare what I did with the with the likes of Gary Gillett or or Tom Spilsbury, um, you know that they've done it and Brilliant. done it brilliantly for so many years. I'm actually a tiny little a little blop on the timeline of Doctor Who magazine editors, um, but at the time it felt like I was there for a long time, and and I loved it. And eventually, I also got to take the uh, the strip away from John. Mm-hmm. Um, I think his last one was Nemesis of the Daleks, which was this big six month epic with Absalom Dark, a character uh-huh. I detest, and um, <laughs> the Emperor of the Daleks and Davros. Oh, it, was, it was a brilliant, brilliant story. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was John's last one. And I think his last parting gift to me was to say, we're going to put Bernie Summerfield in the comic strips. And I was like, yep, that's a really cool idea. And so I commissioned, uh, I think the first thing I commissioned was probably Final Genesis, which was the Silurian story that happened to have exactly the same story as the new adventure blood heat uh-huh. um and uh that or blood harvest or whatever it's called yep. um and that was a little bit unfortunate <laughs> we all came up with the idea of what if the silurian empire never fell um and that was me doing the strips then for the next well i suppose three years yeah you you uh, did it for quite some time how did you go about lining up like writers and artists did you just kind of go with the pool of of resources that you had there or did you seek out anybody new i think you know when i first started the strip i i kind of thought well john set a few people up and a few things up the person he had discovered and, and brought on board and and made a hero of um was uh, scott gray mm-hmm. and i was reading scott stuff and just going you know what this man should write every comic strip under the sun and with one or two exceptions he pretty much did um, certainly, you know, that the, all, most of my um, Seventh Doctor strips uh, tended to be written by him. Um, I think I probably had a couple. Of, I know I had Dan Abnett do a couple for me because I love working with Dan. Mm-hmm. Um, but they became my two main writers for a while. Um, and then I fought very hard to get John Ridgway to come back and draw it. Mm-hmm. And John did a few for us. And I was using... Um, Oh, the man's name has gone from my head, Colin. Um, Colin Andrew, um, yep. who was famous in the UK uh, for, for things like uh, Jeff Hawke comic strips, and he'd done a lot of stuff for Countdown and TV action and things like that. I loved working with Colin. He was a good old British artist. Um, and then as time went on, I started to think, well, you know, we've done the, the new adventure shtick. Um, we've done as much, really, with The Seventh Doctor as we can, uh, by this time, we were probably in 93, so it was the anniversary, and I thought, yeah, let's start doing Old Doctors. Let's mm-hmm. actually have some Hartnell and Troughton and Pertwee and 
Tom and Colin and uh, Peter strips. Uh huh. And so, and that was when I then expanded the writing pool a lot. I started going to new adventures writers and people like that. I brought Gareth in. Uh, I brought Nick Briggs in, um, and people like that, uh, because I just thought it was more fun with a magazine with no TV show on air. There's the magazine I was steering very much to being a reference magazine for the entire history of the show at that point, that 30-year period. Uh-huh. It seems silly to me that fictionally there wasn't very much fiction for old doctors. I can't remember if the missing adventures at Virgin had started then or not. They probably had. But I just thought in comic strip terms, it's been a long time since there's been, well, in fact, there's never really been good uh, Hartnell and Troughton strips. Um, and so I thought, you know, let's have some fun. Let's do that. So I then started, you know, doing all these old strips. I remember doing a heart log with Ben and Polly that, uh, that Briggsy wrote and things like that. I was just thinking, mm-hmm. these are people that have never been in strips before. And getting Colin, uh, not Colin, getting Gareth uh, to write uh, the one about space cows. Oh, yes. Or as I think I said to him, just do me something on the moon with the Davison Teagan Nissa team. And he, knowing my total pathological fear of cows, decided <laughs> to write a story about space cows that could walk and talk and shoot guns and thought this would be very, very amusing for me. Uh-huh. And at that point, I said, I'm doing all the talking rather than you have to ask any questions. I do apologize. Oh, oh, okay. uh, I, um, I start the ball rolling. You just keep it going. <laughs> I came across two very important artists um, who both, uh, I think... Uh, Adrian Salmon submitted stuff to me and I fell in love with his artwork mm-hmm. and Martin Geraghty was introduced to me. I think, I think I'm right in saying by the guy that drew warheads, uh, for Marvel UK. Um, I think he introduced Martin Geraghty to me. I mm-hmm. can't quite remember, but the two of them were sort of big artistic finds for me. And then, so I had, I was, you know, Colin Andrew doing very sort of traditional stuff. And Martin Garrity doing very good fine line stuff. Mm-hmm. And John Ridgway just being John Ridgway and being beautiful. <laughs> yes. Um, and I had a, you know, I had a ball. It mm-hmm. was a very good period for me to edit strips with writers I loved working with and artists I adored working with and, frankly, hero worshipped. Yeah. Um, were you more of a hands-on kind of editor? Did you give ideas to the, the writers as to what to do? or did you Not just, very like, often. I, I would often say, oh, you know, I, I was more about, can you do me a story with this Doctrine Companion mm-hmm. rather than can you do this story? I, I think, and this may be a mistake, um, but I think an editor's job is to let the writers come up with enough ideas and you go, yeah, I'll do that one. That that sounds good. Most writers would come up with two or three or four different ideas. Um, and I would say, go with that one, go with that one. Or, oh, that's interesting. I thought this would be a Colin Baker story. Actually, let's make that a Patrick Chant story because that might be better. Mm-hmm. I think the only times I was ever really specific was when we were doing strips for the specials. So, you know, like the Auton one that Gareth did uh-huh. um, or, or Scott Gray's Dalek one for the, for the Dalek special and yep. things like that. Um, one of the other uh, things that came out during your time was uh, the Age of Chaos graphic novel that Colin Baker wrote. Yep. And uh, how did that come about? Uh, <laughs> do you need to ask? Um, <laughs> Colin sat down to me one day and said, 
I, you know, I love all these old Doctor Who ships with, with, with my Doctor in, um, but I think I know how to make them even better. And I was thinking, <laughs> oh, I can see what's coming. Uh-huh. Really, Colin, how do you think we could make it better? And my mouth going in time with him going, I think Colin Baker should write it. Uh-huh. Um, and, of course, it was an obvious thing to do. And uh, I love working with Colin. He's one of my best friends, and I just think he's an adorable man. And working with him on that was an absolute ball. And he wanted to do Perry. And I think he, I can't remember which of us said Frobisher. It was probably Colin said Frobisher. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we did. And then it was a case of, I know the first person we asked was obviously John Ridgway. Mm-hmm. Um, and John was too busy or maybe had decided that he'd had enough of Doctor Who again at that point. I can't remember. And I remember saying to Paul Neary, who was my boss, do you know one person who's, who's never done uh, Doctor Who, but has done every other bloody comic strip based on TV show in the world, is John M. Burns. Uh-huh. And Paul said, <laughs> there's his number, phone yeah. him up, <laughs> see if he's interested. And I had a very, very, very scared phone call thinking, I am talking to one of my two all-time heroes. You know, uh-huh. if it was either going to be John M. Burns um, or it was going to be Mike Noble, you know, if I could have worked with either of them, it would have been amazing. And, and John answered the phone and he was up for it. And he drew, at that point, it was a four-issue miniseries mm-hmm. for Marvel US. Um, and he drew the first issue. And then when it came to the second issue, things were slowing down. And I was thinking, mm, not sure what's happening here. And also there was rumblings coming in from Marvel US. The Marvel UK stuff was really coming to an end very abruptly. Uh-huh. And they suddenly went, yeah, we don't want a four-part Doctor Who miniseries. Well, we'd paid for and commissioned all this stuff. So I said to Paul Neary, I said, well, let's just do it over here as a graphic novel. Um, and in the end, it became a, a sort of a, a special with a, I wanted it to have a nice glossy cover and it didn't. It had a quite awful soft cover. Yeah. Um, but John was ill. He'd fallen ill. Um, and I think it might have been him or it might have been Neary that said, get Barry Stacey to do it. Because Barry is another good old British artist and his style is very similar uh-huh. to John M. Burns. And he had, in fact, uh, subbed for John before in various things. And he did a very nice transition that, like, for four or five pages, he absolutely drew as John M. Burns. And then gradually it became Barry Stacey's yep. own artwork. Yep, you notice and, that and, as you read through it. But you, you can't actually tell where it stops and starts, I think. You know, there are, I've seen people go, oh, that's definitely John Burns. I'm going, nope, that's a Barry Stacey page. <laughs> and there were a couple, because we then stopped being the four-part miniseries, we had to go back and drew a couple of, take out a couple of splash pages and turn them into normal pages so that it read as a full graphic novel story. Mm-hmm. And they're all Barry's. Um, so you do go Burns and a bit of Barry and then back to Burns for a bit. Um, and it, that was just great fun. And then Alan Davis... Um, did the cover, uh, which again was just like Alan Davis is doing a front cover for me. <laughs> That's fantastic. And yeah, um, he did it. The only problem with it was uh, was that Alan didn't like his own artwork. He didn't like the cover he drew. He didn't like the face of Colin, oh, yeah. and he insisted on redoing it. And I actually think his first one was better, but the published one was the one that Alan was happy with. And I don't think it looked as much like Colin um, as it probably should have done. But that was Age of Chaos, and and that would have been 1994, late 94 we did that, I think it finally came out, and that was great fun, and I loved it, and I'm very proud of Age of Chaos, and I think Colin wrote a really good story. I think so, too. Uh, And I wish we'd done more. Yeah, I really enjoyed reading it, I remember when it came out back in the day, reading it, and uh, thinking really highly of it. 
And yeah, it's, thank you. It's, it's, I, yeah, it's one of my, my prouder moments doing that. And as I say, I think, you know, it's down to the fact that Colin just wrote a really clever, funny story. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the other things that came out during your reign, if I remember correctly, was the Doctor Who Classic Comics. Yeah, that was started by John. Um, for him, when I got to Marvel, John said to me, I've negotiated with Polystyle. Uh, well, actually, I haven't negotiated. I have bought outright at a significant amount of money to Marvel UK, mm-hmm. uh, the entire uh, history of Doctor Who comics. We now own the uh, publication rights to all of TV comic and Countdown and TV action, mm-hmm. which was a very sensible thing to do because it meant we didn't have to pay fees to uh, Polystyle or anything like that. We just bought them and we own them lock, stock and barrel. Yeah. He tried to do it with the Dalek strips as well and Express newspapers went, uh-uh. Um, but with the Polystyle stuff, he bought that and said to me, what should we do? He said, I've had an idea for something called Doctor Who Classic Comics. And I went, you're just preaching to the converted. You know, <laughs> we have to lead with the Pertwee stuff because it's the best stuff. Uh-huh. Um, and he said, okay, um, I think he he may have put a dummy together that was literally, it wasn't even a dummy magazine. It was probably more a dummy pagination of the magazine. And I refined and tweaked it and chose a couple of different comic strips uh, for the first couple of issues, mm-hmm. um, we got uh, who did the cover? Did Alistair do the cover of the first one, or was it Colin Howard, the Pertwee cover? I can't remember. Uh, beautiful cover, really good, striking cover for that first issue. Mm-hmm. Um, it was Alistair, I'm sure it was Alistair. Yep. Um, and off we went. That was Classic Comics, and I had a ball doing Classic Comics. Um, and I was very disappointed when everyone stopped buying it. <laughs> yeah. But I think there's a reason why everyone stopped buying it, which is we had reprinted the best of uh, the Pertwee stuff. Once you've gone through TV action and countdown, which we did, um, you know, there's a, there's a limited number of good Hartnells and, and some lovely John Canning artwork in the Trout stuff, but the stories are still a bit, yeah, they're a bit yeah. simplistic and a bit childish. They have a charm of their own, but they're not enough to support the magazine. The Pertwee stuff is what was supporting it. Mm-hmm. Well, once we've got to the end of countdown and TV action and we were back into TV comic, the Pertwee stuff, even then, although it's the same writers and artists, it didn't have quite the same pizzazz and flair to it. Yeah. And we got to the end of that and we moved on to the first couple of Tom Bakers. And I think people just gave up. I think people had stopped buying it. The, 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 um, the nostalgia had gone. We were coloring the strips up, which was a, an insistence of the British news trade. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the news agents would not take the magazine if we left stuff in black and white. So heartbreakingly, we got Helen and Paul, who did most of our coloring, did a fantastic job on them, very sympathetic. But I, it doesn't alter the fact that they were strips that were drawn for black and white and they should have been reprinted. And of course, if you're doing it today, of course you do it in black and white. No one would bat an eyelid. Yeah. But back in the 90s, newspaper news agents just would not stop a black and white comic the, you know the, the the days of black and white weekly comics were gone in the uk mm-hmm. um and that also killed us i think because we weren't being as faithful to the reproduction as we should have been yeah i've got to say one other great thing about classic comics is we had a lot of good feature material john ainsworth and alan willicum did an awful lot of good feature material for that magazine it's very detailed interviews and research um and uh, I'm very proud of I'm very proud of classic comics. I, I don't think there's, you know, a moment in it I'm not happy with. But I think although I was sad it ended, 
it, it felt that it ended at the right time before we really started scraping the barrel of what we could reprint. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say one of the things that I always enjoyed about classic comics was those feature articles, just reading about kind of the, the history of, of the Doctor Who comics. Yeah, John did brilliant, brilliant stuff on that. I was very pleased that um, he had a, 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 an interview with Dennis Hooper, which we never used uh, because we just never got around to it at the time. Mm-hmm. And Steve Holland recently did his big, brilliant book on TV action countdown. And John was able to give him that interview so Steve could actually use a lot of the information from that. Uh-huh. Uh, so it was all new and fresh in his book. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the book on TV action and countdown. I, I've heard of it, but I haven't been able to track down a copy yet. You can just buy it from Bear Alley, which is Steve's website. Oh. Um, it's worth every single penny. It's gorgeous. I will definitely have to go there and get a copy of that. And then uh, after you left uh, Doctor Who magazine to seek your fame and fortune elsewhere, um, years down the road, uh, back to 2008, was when IDW got the rights to do Doctor Who comics over here in the States. And uh, you were the first writer for those. How did that come about? I was obviously working at um, the BBC by then, script editing, tortured, and Sarah Jane. Um, and I was in charge of all the approvals for Doctor Who. And BBC Worldwide said, oh, you know, the, we've got various people bidding for um, the licence to do a Doctor Who comic proper Marvel style, as they put it to me, in America. And I said, oh, Marvel or DC? No, they, neither of them were bidding for it. And I thought, oh, maybe Dark Horse will be going for it. And then they said to me that one of the companies they were most interested in was this new company called IDW. Mm -hmm. Well, I already knew IDW. I had quite a lot of IDW stuff on my shelves at home. And I liked the ethics of the company. I just liked what they stood for. I liked their production values. And I just said, I I said to them and I said to Russell, I'm pushing for IDW. Uh Um, I think they'd be a very good company to work with. Um, and we met Chris Ryle, he came over, um, and we met with him and immediately just knew that he was the right uh, MD for that company and we wanted Dr. Who with him. Um, and I think basically, I, I very naughtily probably said to BBC Worldwide, you should say to Chris Ryle that, you know, you insist that, that Gary writes the comic strip. Um, as a reward for giving them the license Uh, and that would be thoroughly unethical and and bad and I don't think they did quite do that but I think it probably got mentioned and Chris said to me uh, at one point he said well look you know do you want to write the strip because you know the show you it saves us having a writer having to come through you get approved get unapproved get tweaked you know exactly what is needed and Uh I was like fantastic so we plotted out 18 issues and I got six done uh, before they replaced me with this guy called Tony Lee, whoever he <laughs> might be, um, because, you know, Tony Lee was a better writer. Uh-huh. Um, so my 18-issue uh, plot, which I still have on my computer at home, my whole 18 issues mapped out, um, uh, went, went down the pan, really. Um, and Tony Lee stole my job and stole all my money, and one day I'm going to beat his head to a pulp. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I found your story interesting. Uh, I was wondering the the kind of cast of artists that went through was it? <laughs> you kind of like every, there was a different one for every single issue, almost. Well, it was meant to be Nick Roche, and, and Nick and I had dinner, and we had lots of conversations, and you know that first six issue plot that was worked out 
um, was all meant to be done by Nick. Mm-hmm. And he did the first issue and then he fell ill. So there was a stand-in for issue two and then there was a stand-in for issue three. And then that same person, I think, did issue four. And then there was a stand-in for issue five. And there was a stand-in for issue six. And I think Nick did the covers or he did most of the covers. Uh-huh. Um, but he was ju- he just, I think he was ill and he just couldn't do the interiors. And it was disappointing because I had written all the strips very much for Nick. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd written in, once I'd seen his style, I was writing for him. I thought he can do this, he'll make this panel. He'll make and some of the replacement artists were brilliant and some of them clearly had never seen an episode of Doctor Who in their life. Uh-huh. Um, and I do remember at one point, the one of the villains changed color um, between issues. In one issue, mm-hmm. he's I, I wrote him as green and he was green. And then in the next issue, he was flesh colored. Uh-huh. And I was like, uh, I don't think that's quite right. And I kicked up a bit of fuss and I know they managed to change it interior wise, but on the front cover, he still stayed flesh, human flesh colored. Mm-hmm. I thought, Ugh. um, but yeah, I love Nick and he was a great person to, to bounce ideas off. And I was very disappointed. I think my six issues would have been much more coherent and the whole agent provocateur thing would have worked better. I'm not saying it was very well written, but it would have looked better with the one artist. I think it would have made a coherent story. Um, the guy who wrote, oh, sorry, I wrote it. The guy who drew the, my, my favorite one actually is the Martha one where the front cover is her turning into sand uh-huh. and the, 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 uh, the art work on that, which I think, may have been a couple of pages of breakdowns of Nick's before somebody else inked and then drew the rest of it. Mm-hmm. That, I remember thinking, was was very like his artwork, and I really enjoyed that issue, and that's my favourite of all the six issues I did. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved writing for Martha. I find Martha such a much easier character to write for than Rose. Um, Martha and Donna are very much my companions that I enjoyed writing for. Um, yeah, I, I really I remember that cover. That cover was very striking on the on the racks with all the other comics. Um, one of the things that you did, uh, I'm jumping back a little bit because it's one of the things that most of the comic readers in the states haven't seen is the uh, comic strips you did for Radio Times back during the time of the uh, the TV movie. Yeah, the Paul McGann movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, what was it like writing a, a comic strip like that? Kind of a, a Huge discipline because you had six panels to tell a complete contained episode um, with a start, a middle, and a cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. And that was an amazing new experience for me and, and you know, took a lot of discipline and a lot of learning. Thankfully, I had Lee as my artist who I, I specifically requested um, because I knew Lee would understand how to do uh, what was effectively a newspaper strip uh-huh. as opposed to a full 26-page comic strip. And Lee and I are very much um, on the same wavelength. And it was just a joy. And again, it just got curtailed at the wrong moment. Um, and I know panels, well, I know there's an entire, at least one entire strip, if not two strips, of, of the story that never got published that Lee drew and then we had to write in, in two issues, we had to do this appalling coda that wrapped everything up, which I think rather cheekily I called coda. Um, <laughs> and, and suddenly all the plans of, of um, Stacy being replaced by a Zygon and the wedding between her and the Ice Warrior all had to disappear. And suddenly she wasn't a Zygon anymore. And, and all of that went out the windows. And then 
because I was grumpy about it, I put the wedding in my next Doctor Who novel and had Stacey and Saad in that getting married uh-huh. um, because I love them. They're great. Two of my favorite characters. Yeah, I, I keep hoping that uh, one of the comic companies that gets the rights to Doctor Who comic strips will reprint all those. Well, interestingly enough, I kept saying to IDW, because obviously they printed loads of the Marvel stuff, I said, why don't you mm-hmm. get this? And they tried, and Radio Times at that point would not release the rights. Uh, I don't know whether Titan will have more luck. Um, but yeah, they did try and get the rights, and uh, Radio Times just... I don't think it was a malicious thing of, no, you can't have it. I think it was like, you know, that's just too much time and effort for us to dig out the rights and do the paperwork and everything like that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, certainly IDW went for it, uh, but they they got knocked back. Yeah. Um, do you ever, ever have the urge to write any more Doctor Who comics? I would kill to write Doctor Who comics. Um, if I wasn't here in Australia, I would have been bashing on Titan's doors. Uh, Nick Abbas is doing it, you know, mm-hmm. and you're not going to find much of a better writer than Nick. Uh, so it, it, it's a bit like the, the Tony Lee situation. You sit there going, I want to write that, I want to write that. Oh, they're writing it. Oh, yeah, well, there's no point in me trying because, you know, you're not going to write a better comic strip than Tony and you're not going to write a better comic strip than Nick. Yep. Um, so I'm, I, I haven't seen the Titan one yet because it hasn't come over here. Um, but I'm looking forward to it and I shall probably buy a big collected edition when they put it out like I did with all the IDW stuff. Oh uh, yeah, definitely. They're coming out with hardcovers for the, the tenth and the eleventh oh, actor ones, so um the so you know, right now you're in Australia, you're doing some T V producing. You wanna talk a little bit about that? I'm, for... I'm exacting uh, a new animated uh, series for the ABC called Prisoner Zero. And it's really nice because it's nothing to do with Doctor Who. It's <laughs> finally I'm doing something that, as much free. as I love Doctor Who, I'm free, free of Doctor Who for the first time in my professional life. And uh, it's great sci-fi, but it's got no connection with Who or no, not even stylistically or thematically. There's just like, it's a completely different, straightforward sci-fi show. And uh, it's great to be doing something different. It's great to be doing 2D animation. I can't draw to save my life, obviously. Mm. Um, I just have, you know, a team of incredibly talented artists to bully and shout at and and, and push around. Um, and it's just a, a great experience and a great adventure for me in a different country. Uh, what, can you give me a quick elevator pitch about what the series is about? Nope. Nope. Can't, not yet. Oh, okay. Um, it's, it's too soon. Uh-huh. Um no, I, alas, I, I cannot, I cannot reveal anything, um, but it's going to be marvelous. Well, I, I hope it makes it outside of Australia and comes over to the states so I can uh, so I. watch it. So do I. Well, Gary, uh, I want to thank you for joining me on Doctor Who Panel to Panel and covering uh, your career in the Doctor Who comics, both as editor and writer. I've greatly enjoyed it. It's, it's been a, a little nostalgia fest for me. As I was talking to you, I was thinking I won't remember these people's names, or, and suddenly it was all coming back. And I'm thinking, oh yeah, oh of course, oh, I, I can't remember things. As I was listening, I'm thinking, wow, he has a memory like I definitely do not have because there's no way I remember all that kind of stuff. <laughs> well, I didn't think I would either, particularly <laughs> at my advanced age. But you know, it does. It, it sits there. I think when you've got something that you're particularly passionate about and you particularly enjoy doing, mm-hmm. and I did, you know, my 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 years particularly at Marvel doing DWM were the happiest work years of my life. Um, and therefore, it's all burnt in my head as, as you know, something that was great fun. Uh-huh. Well, once again, thank you very much for joining me and uh, continued success in your future endeavors. Pleasure.
Take care of yourself. Thanks, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that flashback going back in time to 2014 and my chat with Gary Russell. Uh, it was nice hearing that again. I haven't listened to it since it came out way back then. Uh, I love chatting with Gary. Gary is a wonderful person, somebody who uh, has a lot of similar interests to me and somebody I get along with really well. So it was great chatting with Gary again. And I hope you enjoyed that interview. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Doctor Who Panel to Panel as well. Please do me a favor. Check out my website, which is DoctorWhoComics.com with all the latest news in Doctor Who comics, uh, latest listings from the previews catalog, and uh, a weekly or twice a week comic strip, Doc- or The Ten Doctors by Rich Morris. New pages get put up every Monday and Thursday, so make sure you check out my website, DoctorWhoComics.com. If you want to help support the show, please do me a favor and check out Patreon.com slash Doctor Who Panel to Panel. I have uh, several different tiers which you can uh, pledge your support at on a monthly level. Uh, If you are interested in just the interviews of the podcast and don't want to listen to me chat, uh, you can download or or support me at $5 a month and you can get the MP3 files of just the interviews that I do from time to time. Um, So uh, please do me a favor, check that out. If you want to help support the show, help me pay the, the support cost of running this podcast, I would truly appreciate it. And last but not least, I want to give a teaser for the new episode that will be coming out in about two weeks' time. I have had a chat, a wonderful chat, with the current editor of Doctor Who magazine, Marcus Hearn, who uh, chatted with me about what is going on in the world of Doctor Who magazine, what's going to be coming up, uh, how things have been going over the past year or so since the, the RTD2 era has started. So this is my little teaser to uh, make sure to tell you what is coming up the next episode make sure you tell your friends make sure you tell people that read doctor who magazine make sure you tell doctor who fans to check out doctor who panel to panel and be sure and download the next episode so with this little tidbit out of the way uh thank you very much for downloading this episode and until next time this is jeremy bement saying bye doctor who panel to panel the podcast about doctor who comics Thank you for downloading this episode. Let us know what you thought about this episode or of Doctor Who Comics in general. You can find us socially on Facebook at Doctor Who Panel the Panel, on Twitter at Doctor Who P2P, 2 being the number 2, and online at DoctorWhoComics.com. Download previous episodes via your favorite podcast service and find the complete catalog of episodes featuring amazing interviews with creators past and present at archive.org. Just search for Doctor Who Panel to Panel. Thank you.